This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. This past summer, it has seemed that everyone is catching the COVID-19 virus, including people who had stayed safe from it for more than two years, who've been respecting lockdowns and quarantines, getting vaccinated and even wearing their masks. The Omicron variants of the virus have proved to be particularly contagious, even if less lethal. In spite of this, life appears to have resumed in the U.S. with people traveling, working, and readying for the start of school. Is the COVID-19 pandemic over? Will there be a universal vaccine developed or seasonal vaccines like the flu vaccine? What about the new looming health emergency known as the monkeypox virus? Joining me to help answer these questions is Lawrence O. Gostin, university professor at Georgetown University, where he directs the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law. He's also director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center on National and Global Health Law, where he served in numerous high-level capacities, and he co-chairs the Lancet Commission on Global Health Law and has been one of our go-to guests since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Welcome back to the program, Professor Gostin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So as I mentioned, I feel like everybody I know has been catching COVID this summer. I caught it myself about a month ago. It was mild. I recovered. Um, and, and, you know, no matter how many precautions I took, just stepping out of the house seemed to be a threat. And it seems like that's been the case with many Americans. And yet we aren't seeing the same levels of hospitalization as before. So are we at the stage now where maybe we can take some more risks because it's not so lethal, except, of course, the immunocompromised among us? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the, that's really the key question. Um, you know, the pandemic isn't over. I know uh, Americans are acting as if it's over, but it isn't over. Um, as you mentioned, the you know the Omicron subvariants, particularly BA5, which is circulating widely in the United States and globally, is crazy infectious. Uh, the most infectious pathogen I've seen. It's it's um, you know, if you think about measles, it's equivalent or even more infectious than measles. You know, if you put ten kids in a room uh, with one of them ha has measles. You know, eight of eight others will get it for, in one hour, so it's that infectious. Um, now, it's not really super clear whether this is more pathogenic or not. Um, it certainly doesn't seem to be more lethal, and it may be less lethal. But the main change between now and say a year ago, or between when President Biden. Um, caught COVID-19 and President Trump did, um, is the advent of you know, highly effective vaccines and also therapeutics. In addition, you know, as you said, most people have had uh, COVID-19. And so we're starting to have a certain level of population immunity, which doesn't seem to protect the community from being infected, but does make the disease genu generally more mild, less hospitalizations and less deaths. But we're gonna see a lot of deaths for people who are still not fully vaccinated and boosted, which is the majority of Americans. So the majority of Americans are not fully vaccinated and boosted. I mean, I'm here in California where we've had 
pretty high levels of vaccination. But I understand that there's a, it's it's pretty patchy when it comes to whether people have had both shots, um, a first booster. Some people who are over the age of 50 are eligible for a second booster whether kids have had their shots and their boosters. Is there a pretty, uh, uh, you know, is, is it a pretty patchy map? It's a very patchy map. It depends upon which state you're in. Um, uh, you know, liberal, democratic-leaning states tend to have more vaccination than Republican, conservative um, states, um, even though this virus clearly, you know, doesn't know its politics. It just, uh, it's just a, it's a biological virus. Um, and also, um, we're seeing very different rates of vaccination and boosting uh, among different uh, age cohorts. Um, it's quite low for um, under five um, children. It's also very low for adolescents. Um, and for um, older populations, it tends to be higher. But still, um, there are a ton of um, truly vulnerable people. Um, who have not been vaccinated and boosted, all, to, all told, probably something less than 30% of the population in the United States is fully up to date on, on their vaccines. And of course, we're heading into the fall um, where we're going to have a new, um, uh, a new formula for the vaccines, which we, which we may like to talk about. Absolutely. I do want to talk about that. Before we get to that, though, there's also a new vaccine on the market. It's the Novovax vaccine that, vaccine that has just been approved by the CDC. Um, but this vaccine, I understand, is different from the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, not as much in the outcomes, but in the way in which it was uh, it's put together. Right? The, it's not an mRNA vaccine. No, it isn't. It's a very traditional vaccine, and it took FDA way, way too long to authorize it. Um, Novavax has been authorized um, by the European Medicines Agency and, and by the UK regulator and many, many others for a long, long time. So FDA has been slow walking Novavax. I was really glad to see um, it get uh, get authorized. I wonder if there's, just as a caveat, I wonder if there's any investigative reporting on whether Pfizer and Moderna's influence in at least especially the Trump administration had anything to do with it, but, you know. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think directly that would be true because Novavax is probably not going to take very much, if, if anything, of the market share of, the, of Moderna and, and Pfizer. But the importance of Novavax is it is a traditional vaccine. And there are a lot of people who just don't trust, you know, messenger RNA technology. They think it's too new. Um, but, you know, they, they and their kids have had a whole slew of vaccines of a more traditional kind. And, and that is this. Also, Novavax doesn't use any fetal cell lines. Um, which may uh, get around some of the religious objections. All in all, I'm glad uh, FDA has authorized it and CDC has recommended it. It's we need more um, more arrows in our in our in our bow. 
I mean, I, I wonder if there's enough of a public uh, education campaign about it um, for those people who, you know, since the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were being rolled out, who had these objections to the mRNA vaccines. If, if, if those skeptics understand that there is now an option in the more traditional vein that they claim to trust more than the mRNA vaccine, it seems as though we have kind of um, fallen by the wayside on trying to increase rates of vaccinations. I mean, do you feel that the country is as vaccinated as it's, as it's ever going to be, considering, you know, people just want to move on? They, they don't want to think about the fact that we're still in a pandemic. No, they don't. Um, and and yes, you know we we've really stalled as a nation in terms of our vaccinations, and we're falling further behind because as more people are eligible for boosters and don't get them, um, uh, it's a it's a significant problem for the United States, and it could cause you know unnecessary and preventable um, deaths. You know, the other interesting, and, and CDC uh, and state and local health departments, the White House really should be messaging this more, and particularly Novavax. The, interestingly, you know, as we all know, President Biden recently um, contracted um, SARS-CoV-2, and he's doing quite well. Um, but it's, you know, there'll be a swath of the population that will get the wrong message. They will think, well, you know, if the president in the White House can get it, uh, we can all get it. So there's no point even trying to avoid it. And secondly, they think, well, if an 89-year-old man who looks really frail is doing so well, this is really not such a bad disease. But that would be absolutely the wrong um, uh, message to, to, to take on board. And the reason is, is that President Biden has done well because he's being fully vaccinated and right. fully we need to get we need to hammer that message home. And we and just as you pointed out that um there's a huge difference between when Trump caught it versus when Biden caught it. Of course, the variants themselves are different now. So there's that's one factor, but the other factor is that there was no vaccine at that time available. And since then, um, Trump, who many of whom whose supporters are skeptical of the vaccines, quietly got himself vaccinated, got both shots, probably has been boosted, although I haven't been paying attention. Um, so let's talk about this, this other aspect of the vaccines. Uh, there is a, well, first of all, on the mRNA vaccines, we were, I remember reading that these vaccines were such a game changer because as a virus mutated, the vaccines could be tweaked to better target the variants. So we've had this Omicron you know, variant and its subvariants for a while now. Is, uh, are, these, are the companies like Moderna and Pfizer in the process of tweaking their vaccines to better target these variants because the vaccines don't work well enough against these as they did against the original virus? Yes, and the White House is holding a, uh, a, a briefing meeting on new generations of vaccines. They are working on it. But Somali, you've got a really good memory. Um, that was one of the big selling points about messenger RNA vaccines, that they were much more easily adaptable to new mutations and variants in the, uh, in the pathogen um, than traditional vaccines were. It turned out that that was only partially true. It's really 
been an agonizingly slow process to get reformulated um, vaccines. Right now, if you go to your pharmacy or your doctor, you're just going to get the original Wuhan um, vaccine. Still effective, um, but it's not a game changer. Um, where they've been working on um, an Omicron uh, that specific vaccine, with particularly they're looking at what we call bivalent vaccines. So it would include both the original Wuhan virus plus um, one of the variants, the Omicron variant, or one of its subvariants. Um, originally, it was only going to be the original Omicron variant, which was not going to be particularly effective. But there's you know, a lot of discussion in the White House and among the companies now that we're really going to try to push for a little bit more up-to-date vaccine. And the next generation of vaccines for the fall um, will undoubtedly be bivalent. Um, but um, the virus continues to mutate. We, we can't always be chasing the next variant and always being two or three steps behind or three or four months behind. Right, because it takes um, time to tweak the vaccines and then to produce them and distribute them, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that takes a lot of money and effort. And by the time you go through those steps, there could be a new variant that doesn't respond. And there will, and there will be. And, and and of course you and you also have to get authorization from the FDA and CDC recommendations. So it's very laborious pro process. You know we don't want to shortcut anything on safety and effectiveness, um, but we do need to kind of push for the next generation. We, we thought everyone thought that by the time of fall 2022, you know coming on for three years in this pandemic, that we were going to have really well-targeted vaccines um, for this uh, uh, fall season where we expect circulating uh, COVID uh, virus and also a flu virus. And we thought we were going to have um, uh, vaccine campaigns that gave both seasonal COVID and seasonal flu at the same time. Looks like now we're going to be uh, a little bit late um, with our next generation vaccines. It may not be ready by September. And we're also going to be um, uh, in potentially short supply because Congress has never reauthorized funding um, for uh, uh, these vaccines. And so wow. we might be um, headed for a, a fall where we could have done so much better than we're going to do. So there's the issue of seasonal vaccines, but there's also talk of a universal vaccine. What yeah. is a universal vaccine? I mean, it just sounds like it might yeah. be too good to be true. You get one shot like you do when you're a child against, you know, things like MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, yeah. and then maybe just like one booster and then you're done. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the frequency of you know how many uh, shots you would need in the regimen, or how much how much boosting. But the idea is this: that there would be um, a pan coronavirus vaccine that would be uh, effective against all um, kinds of um, variants and mutations. Um, that is the holy grail, um, and we're really chasing it. Um, but 
I'd be surprised, very surprised to see uh, those on the market and administered um, at least for a year, maybe in my view, two years. Hmm. We've been talking about a pan-influenza vaccine for a decade now, and we still oh, wow. don't have so right, because we get seasonal vaccines. flu vaccines every year, which are and not always early. accurate. They're not, they're never accurate. They're <laughs> usually between 30 to 60% effective. Wow. So, uh, so we haven't gotten our act together on a flu, uh, universal flu vaccine. Uh, certainly the COVID uh, vaccine may not also come about fast enough. All right, so people are trying their best to move on, even though the pandemic isn't over. There's all sorts of suggestions on how to move forward, you know, continue to mask indoors, get all the vaccines and boosters you're eligible for, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, keep the self-tests handy. That's one bright spot in the COVID thing, by the way, the COVID pandemic is that uh, access to self-testing and at-home testing is much, much easier. You can get reimbursed for tests. Insurance providers are providing free tests. The government mailed out two rounds of tests so people have access to tests. All of that is great. And now we have a new health emergency on the horizon that the headlines are screaming about, and that's the monkeypox virus. The WHO has just declared it a global health emergency. What is this virus? How concerned should we be? We should be concerned. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly um, not going to be anywhere near the same level as the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, um, but it is, it's, so it's not really an airborne pathogen. Um, it can be contracted by close physical contact. That could be sex, it could be hugging, um, or it could be children um, you know, playing in their nursery school or in the playground. Um, so it's something we really need to worry about because it's now um, in over 70 countries around the world, most of them have never seen um, monkeypox. It's only been endemic in Central and Western Africa. Um, and uh, cases are escalating rapidly. And uh, very recently, uh, the World Health Organization declared monkeypox a, a, a global health emergency, or what we call a public health emergency of international concern. Um, now, there was a split in the emergency committee's recommendation to the director general. Nine voted against um, declaring an emergency, six voted in favor. Most of the MSNM uh, advocates and scientists that focus on that um, urged WHO to uh, declare an emergency. And Dr. Tedros, the director general, uh, for the first time ever, um, went against the advice of the emergency committee and declared uh, an emergency. And I think that was an absolutely right thing to do. So what does Biden do now, um, given that um, CDC just reported that we now have the most reported cases in the world and the number of cases that we're reporting is a, is a huge undercount because we're not testing um, at a sufficient level. And so I think he should, you know, he needs to do two things and he's considering it. The first is I'd like to see a national public health emergency declared. There's been a lot of political chatter about declaring an emergency for abortion or for um, uh, climate change. And of course, those are existential, really important issues. Um, but monkeypox is a traditional public health emergency. 
um, and we should declare it such. That would unleash certain funds, raise the alert level, and give uh, Biden more powers um, to procure and manufacture vaccines and treatments. On the upside, um, it's not a lethal disease. On the downside, it's not, uh, you know, you can't just protect yourself if you're like, okay, I just have one sexual partner or I'm not sexually active. Because as you mentioned, you can get it from just hugging people. <laughs> so, yeah. so it certainly seems to be uh, of concern, but maybe not panic. No, no, it's certainly not panic. And no, Right now, um, monkeypox is concentrated among uh, the, uh, the community of men who have sex with men, MSM. Um, what, you know, that community has suffered a lot um, from HIV and, and hepatitis and other sexually transmitted infections. Um, and so uh, that's a community that we need to value. We need to focus on them. We need to support them in a non-stigmatizing, um, uh, uh, supportive way that enables them um, to uh, rise up and really make um, their own health decisions uh, and having ample, ample access to education, um, treatment, and vaccines. Um, we know that from the AIDS uh, pandemic, and I, in my view, AIDS changed the world. The way we came to grips with AIDS um, was bottom-up social mobilization with, um, from the AIDS, uh, AIDS and gay communities. And that's what we need now with monkeypox. We also need a, a new monkeypox czar in the White House who can really unblock the problems about procurement and supply chains and getting these vaccines and treatment out to people. It's really critically important. Right. I mean, the good news is there is a vaccine. So that's the upside of it, which you know wasn't the case in co with the COVID pandemic for over a year or so. There is. Um, you know, it's we haven't we've never really deployed the vac. We've got two vaccines, one that's licensed um, for smallpox, and we assume that it's effective against monkeypox. The other is specifically for monkeypox. But we've never deployed um, these vaccines in a, um, in a mass scale on the level that we're doing now. And so we really do need to test the efficacy of these, um, of these vaccines, making sure they're safe. And the same thing with treatments. Well, I want to thank you so much, as always, Professor Gostin, for joining us and helping clarify these confusing issues. Really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. My guest has been Lawrence O. Gaston, university professor at Georgetown University, where he directs the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law. He's also director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center on National and Global Health Law. He's been one of our go-to guests since the COVID-19 pandemic began. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali. Thank you.